Well, I do bring you greetings in the name of Jesus. It is good to be here, despite for the fact of driving west for the last three months or so to worship at Waterworks. It just feels so right to be here at Myerstown with you, dear brothers and sisters, to worship. If I would ask you to draw two pictures. One picture would illustrate freedom, and one an, another contrasting picture would illustrate bondage. Just let that circulate a little bit. What would you draw? I mean, some people are very good at expressing ideas in picture. Would it be easier to draw bondage or would it be easier to draw freedom? My mind goes to somebody sitting in prison. I'll bet your mind went there too. In chains, shackles, bar, behind bars. Is that bondage? I would contend that there are some prisoners that are far more free. Take Paul and Silas, singing in chains, singing and praising the Lord and praying at midnight. Were they in bondage or were they free? Maybe you would look at it from the financial aspect and draw somebody, or try to put it in, express it in, in, in picture of uh, somebody that is is seriously in debt versus somebody that is financially free. This morning I'd like to kind of go along those lines for a message and I'd like to talk about really being free versus being in bondage. You can join me in Romans 8 if you will. Romans 8 is the text we're going to look at. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. It is, it is a Actually, Romans 7 and Romans 8 are contrasts. So if you are familiar with Romans 7, Paul is describing his life as, well, uh, some people say as a Christian. Some people say, no, 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 not as a Christian. Some people say Romans 7 is never found in the Christian life. I find that a little hard to believe. To, to insist that it's never the experience of a Christian, I'm not sure if it's real, very realistic. It's not supposed to be. But I found myself in Romans 7 more than I wanted to, I'll be honest with you. Romans 7 in summary is, oh, I find in me things that I want to do, but I don't do it. And then there's the contrast, the things that I don't want to do, and I do it. And, I, and there's that tension and that war. That's what Romans 7 is a lot uh, about, and then at the end of Romans 7, verse 24 says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then verse 25 is the contrast, it's the shifting of gears between bondage and freedom. And verse 25 says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So it's this whole battle of the flesh and the spirit is what I'm going to uh, talk about this morning. 
I'll be honest with you, I struggled a lot in uh, knowing the Lord's will, what to bring uh, for the message this morning, and I was back and forth and back and forth, and I finally uh, felt Romans 8 is the message I should, I should share this morning. And uh, I did a lot of preparation, and then this morning I just realized, ah, anybody know what today is? Yeah, today's the day of Pentecost. And sometimes I have intentionally prepared a Pentecost message. Uh, this one was not intentional, but it was a blessing for me to wake up this morning and uh, realize today is Pentecost. So I believe it will, it will fit. Romans 8 really could be three messages, at least. There is so much in, the, in Romans 8. I will not attempt to... Uh, pull, unpack everything or pull all the nuggets out of Romans 8. But I want to make it very simple and summarize Romans 8. And I entitled the, the, the message, Four Freedoms of Walking in the Spirit. Four Freedoms of Walking in the Spirit. And I'd like to look at those four freedoms and they're going to be big bites every, po every point, but I'm going to uh, really condense it and basically summarize it. And really, what I really want us to come to grips with, every one of us this morning, I want us to ask the question, am I after the flesh or after the spirit? That's the question of Romans 8, and we're going to see that addressed. Am I after the flesh? There's going to be, there's going to be uh, verses that say, there are those that are after the flesh and after the spirit. So it's really, a, in a sense, a continuation of the contrast. But that is kind of a summary and an outline of where we're going this morning. Franklin D. Roosevelt, I doubt many of us remember him as a president, as the pres president of the United States. If you remember him as the United, President of the United States, you, you uh, show a little bit of your age, but he was president over some, very, some crucial times in, in world history, if you will. And he's, uh, th th there's, there's a saying that he is remembered for. And it was in 1941, he gave his, I think it was State of the Address of Union, uh, State of the Union Address, sorry. And he was uh, kind of giving the, an outline or uh, where the war is at. So this is in the context of a World, World War II, it would be, yes. Much is, much is forgotten about his address. At the, end of at the end of his address, here's what he's remembered for. He, he looked ahead and he said, I look forward to a world now remember, this is in the context of world war. He said, I look forward to a world that is experiencing four freedoms. And then he outlined the four freedoms. Freedom of speech. He wanted a world that was free to express themselves through speech. Freedom of religion. He wanted a world that is free to worship how they wished. Freedom from want. He wanted a world 
that is not in need. In other words, if there is a need, the rest of the world responds to that need. That need. So there's a world that's free from want. And lastly, I want a world that's free of fear. And he's remembered for that, for outlining that. Now, I, I guess I'd have to say that's fairly impressive coming from a president I mean freedom of speech freedom of religion and then it's going to the more of the heart of humanity free from want and free from fear and the context of World War II would probably make a little different uh, we, we really can't understand that the context of it but well enough of uh, FDR right but was he on to something or wasn't he? Or didn't he understand something? And I would conclude that he didn't understand humans. You'll never see it. You'll never, ever, ever, ever see a world that is free from those. It won't, it won't happen. Because the Bible says that the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And then the Bible, God raises a question, who can even know it? Now attempts to combat those things through legislation is one thing, but you know it'll be temporary. But what I like to present from the word is four freedoms that every person can and should and yeah, must experience. And they're pretty awesome. Four freedoms of walking in the Spirit. Romans 8. I'm going to give them to you right up front, okay? So here they are. The first passage of Scripture talks about freedom from condemnation, or you could say freedom of judgment. I want to talk just a little bit about that. And then the second freedom is the freedom from defeat. And oh, how hard it is when we're defeated. God has a way that we do not have to live in defeat. Thirdly, free from discouragement. And I would say, uh, I'll give you just a little peek into what, where we're going. Amidst a world of, of uh, pain and suffering and groaning, we can experience uh, freedom from discouragement. And lastly, freedom from fear. We do not have to, we can face come what may, even chains and shackles and bars, and we don't have to be afraid. Now that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. And I want it, and I think you want it too. Four freedoms of walking in the Spirit. So, and I would probably suggest that maybe each one goes a little bit deeper. So we're kind of just clawing our way into the very core of who we are. We're going to start with the outer part of condemnation and feeling guilty. And then we're going to work our way into the defeat uh, versus victory. And then we're going to uh, get into courage or discouragement. And I think we're getting a little deeper into the human heart. And finally, at the core of who we are is our fears and 
that's where we're going to end up in Romans 8. So let's read verses 1 through 4. This is the shortest section of scripture, so I'm going to read this one, Romans 1 through 4. The point is freedom from condemnation or freedom from judgment. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who? Walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's the phrase that I want to drive home today. Uh, walking not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, freedom from condemnation. And I'm going to have to keep each point very simple, very basic. So... <clears throat> condensing this point, I'm just going to ask you a question. Uh, can you remember a time, or do you know what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about condemnation? When you just feel condemned? And I want to tell you, that is the work of the enemy. The work of the enemy, later in the passage, in, in, this, in Romans 8, the question is going to come up, who, who is he that condemneth? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, that the work of the enemy, and unfortunately there are many people that jump on board with the enemy's agenda, and that is to heap condemnation on a person. It goes something like this. You're, you blew it. Don't even try. You're a loser. Sorry! God don't make losers! God don't make mistakes! And God don't make people that don't have a chance. That's a lie. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Sometimes I de describe condemnation like this. Condemnation to me is like one big cloud that you can't put your finger on it. And I'm convinced that the, that the devil is a master at making you feel like that. You can't put your finger on exactly what it is, but you just feel bad. And you feel like giving up. And you feel like don't even facing what have you. Just That's condemnation. And there's a big... Sometimes we get conviction and condemnation mixed up. Conviction is the work of the Spirit, the work of God. God, in, in John 16, we're, talk, we're told about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict or he'll reprove the world of sin. That's so different than condemn. Jesus came not into the world to what? Condemn the world. He does not want you to feel condemned, but he must use conviction that's when God in his love and his mercy and his tender arms stretch towards you, puts a area, a finger, his finger on your life and says, Jim, this pattern of your life is not right. Will you, by my grace, confess it, repent of it, and turn to me? That's totally different than the condemnation that the enemy and sometimes people 
uh, want us to feel. So the point is so simple but so profound. The, the point is, when you're in Christ and you walk not after the flesh, you, you want a life of condemnation, walk after the flesh. Do what the flesh wants to do. Just away with denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. Just do what you want to do. And you have entered a life, uh, a cloud, if you will, of condemnation. So it really is so, so simple. And maybe I should just make, a, make a, just a few uh, Holy Spirit 101 comments. Some, it's probably the most misunderstood doctrine in the, or one of the most misunderstood doctrines in the whole Bible. It's really not too difficult. The Holy Spirit is, understanding the Holy Spirit is not difficult. It, back up to Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost, the actual setting at Pentecost, Peter was preaching. He said, repent. Repent of your sins. That's simple. Turn from what's doing, turn what's from what's wrong, turn to what's right. And sometimes I used to think repentance is all about stopping drinking and stopping smoking and stopping doing all bad things. But I think repentance has more to do with discontinuing earthly values and embracing kingdom values. And that has financial implications. That has uh, the way we, we respond to our enemies, implications in, in so many areas. Peter said, repent and be baptized. In other words, make it public. Believe in Jesus and go public with it. And then he says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I, I get a concern where people are running and running and trying to find the Holy Spirit and doing this and doing... It's so simple. Repent, believe, go public with it, be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of like a... Uh, I don't think it's a... Don't think that it's you repent on... Monday, and then you believe on Wednesday, and then you're baptized on the next month, and then it's the gift. It's kind of like a motion that's in progress, and repentance and believing and baptism is in there. It's all part of the, and the gift is kind of like a little seed that's put in you. Somebody explained it so well. They said, one day I was in the midst of evil at school, and some boys were, look at this, look at this. And a little voice came in, a little voice inside said, don't do it. And then that person said, I know, without a doubt, that was the Holy Spirit. And I agree. It's not that complicated. A still small voice, that, that, that seed, that gift that is put in you. And then, of course, we have being born of the Spirit. We have... That's the, that's the initial part where the seed, it's, it's put in you. It's a gift. And then there's something about learning to walk, just like a child, if that's fair. Walk in the Spirit. You take your steps, you're just like a child learns to walk. That's what walking in the Spirit is all about. You learn that life of heeding that Spirit. And you can talk about uh, being controlled or being filled by the Spirit. It's, it's so simple. But you know what? I can have the gift and I can say no. I can choose no. And that's, the Bible talks about resisting the Holy Spirit. And when, when that spirit is resisted, when that voice says, don't do this, and I just go ahead and do it. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. So he doesn't, it doesn't feel good to him. 
And the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. So when we are prompted to do right and we don't do it, there's a grief that happens in, uh, personally to him. He's grieved. And uh, then it comes to the point of quenching, and I don't quite understand all of that, but I think there's a point where you over and over, that pattern of lifestyle can actually drown the voice out. So don't uh, grieve him. Don't resist him. Welcome him. When he does put his finger in areas of our life, uh, it is such a gift. It's a gift. Okay? So no condemnation. That's the point. No free, uh, there's just freedom. All the voices can come at you and say, you're no good or you can't do it. If I'm in Christ and if I'm walking in the Spirit, there's no condemnation. That's a freedom that I want and I think you want too. Secondly, freedom from defeat. And this is verses 5 through 17. I, there are so many nuggets in this one, I'm going to take time to read it. Join me. Verse 5 in Romans 8. For they that are after the flesh... They mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me stop there. I was going to give you a watchword as I read. Be watching for a couple things. Number one, be watching for three levels of living. I think there's three levels of living outlined. Secondly, watch for contrasts. I already went, went, went through some of them. And then thirdly, uh, I'm just going to grab a few nuggets. So the, as I'm reading, look for three levels of living, look for contrasts, and look for just beautiful nuggets that we don't have time to unpack. So I was at verse 6, I think. But for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's a contrast. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if I would use the word sila, I would inject it there. Stop. Let it sink in. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh. I'm sorry, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of this body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's another place to stop, but let it sink in. Verse 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, that's the most endearing term of father you could find. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if the children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. Okay, I know you're thinking like me. There's way too much in there. That is just a loaded passage of scripture. So I'd like to boil it down and really condense it. 
freedom from defeat. We don't have to live in defeat. We don't have to succumb to the dictates of the flesh. We, don't, we, we can mortify them. We can put them to death. We can, we can actually experience that resurrection life, that power of God working, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We don't have to be defeated. We don't, in other words, we're not obligated to the old man. We, we know him well, right? We wrestle with him. That's within us. We, we want to do what's, uh, something, somebody does us dirty and everything rises in us to justice. But the, oh, that's, the, that's the flesh. And the spirit comes along and just points to Christ and how Christ acted to those who even put him to death. Mm. freedom from defeat I would suggest that there are three ways to live you have to look close maybe even read between the lines but uh, I, there's a you can live having not the spirit you can if any man have not the spirit he's none of his so if you did not repent and you did not believe on Jesus Christ and you never received the gift that's one way to live. I think there's two more ways to live. I think you can have the Spirit. This is a little theologically dangerous turf, maybe. But I gather from that passage of Scripture that it is possible to have the Spirit and still go your own way. So the second way to live is just have the Spirit, just have the gift of the Spirit. Now I think, I think that's a road. I think that's a road that the Spirit will become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. I would never, ever, ever tell a human being, ever, that you have crossed the line and there's no hope for you. In fact, there are some scriptures that almost say a, a man can go there, but I don't think a man should ever, ever make the, make the call that somebody crossed that line. If somebody is breathing and has hope and, and there's life there, I'm going to offer hope. I think it's possible to have the Spirit and not be... And I think the third, the third and the best way to live is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has you. You're just lost in God. And you're controlled by Him. Is that idealistic? Maybe. But it's a Spirit-filled life. And the Spirit-filled life is not idealistic. I look at my life and my own struggles and I, it's real. It's very real. So therefore, I, I look at Romans 7 and I say, I think we're going to have some Romans 7 days, but we're not supposed to live in Romans 7. We're supposed to live in... We are, we are gifted to live in Romans 8. You can go to Galatians 5 and you find the exact same tension. The flesh lusts us against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. and the, it's, like, it's like a... That's what Galatians 5 looks like to me. But if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5 says. So that, that's what I would suggest, three ways of living. Now I would like to uh, look at some contrasts. Number one is in verse 5. You can be after the flesh or after the Spirit. So we're back to that same basic question. You can be after the flesh or after the Spirit. And I'd like to say that, well, let me do the next contrast, verse 6. 
carnally minded or spiritually minded. If you think like a carnal man, if, if every thought that comes from you is from the flesh, its origins is fleshly, equals what? Death. Spiritually minded, you allow the Holy Spirit to bring your thoughts to surface. Life, peace. Take your pick. We're talking about contrasts. Verse 7. Enemy with God or a peace with God? What do you want? What do I want? Talking about contrasts. Verse 8. Pleasing God or pleasing the flesh? It, it's... It's so complex, but so simple. And it comes down to what I am doing with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I like to say that it's, it's so much of a mind thing. I'm learning more. as uh, The older I get, the more I understand that, that your mind is, is the... That's where the battlefield happens. And that's when it talks about the spiritual mind and the carnal mind. So much of this is a mind thing, how you think. You know what I think a stronghold really is? A stronghold, I really believe, is just a pattern of thinking that you thought over and over and over and over again, and there's a deep rut there. And it's hard to get out of deep ruts because you've traveled that road so many times. That's the way our mind works. Some people can explain the human mind uh, in, in amazing ways, how we just, it's kind of like learning something, learning to drive a car. Get, you watch a 16-year-old, and I'm so worried that they're going to get the gas and the brake mis mixed up. But you drive one year, and it's just, it's so, you don't, you don't, you, you, it doesn't take any part of your mind. Shifting, braking, it just all comes so naturally. But if we allow our minds to just think and think and think wrong thoughts, it's death. Versus life, peace. I love the text. Just some more nuggets in this, in this uh, point. Freedom from defeat. Verse 8, in the flesh we can't please God. And you know what? There are millions and millions of people that are trying it. Every religion without Christ, they are sacrificing travel to some of the third world, or, or travel to some of the countries where Hinduism and Buddhism and, and some of the other isms dom are, do are dominant. And you'll see, a you'll see multitudes and multitudes of people trying to please God. Getting up early in the morning, making their sacrifices, and it's all empty. And in the flesh, you cannot please God. Verse 5. Verse 6. Uh, I'm sorry, I was in, back on the contrast. I'm looking at some nuggets. The next nugget is resurrection power is available. And sometimes you just got to stop and think of the res. I mean, just think about it. There laid the body of Jesus. His life was gone. There was a supernatural power that came in to Jesus. And how the stone got away, I don't know. I can't explain it, but I know it was God's power. But to take a lifeless body... Up out of the grave. That is incredible. I can't articulate it and neither can you. But that's the exact same power that's available according to verse uh, 11. That power is, resurrection power is available. Some have not the spirit. I already emphasized that. That's, to me, it's a nugget. Have, if you don't have the spirit, you're none of his. 
If you're led by the Spirit, verses 14, 15, 16 summarized, you're a son. You're adopted. Adopted into God's royal family. Imagine. I just saw a picture of an adoption just this morning. Somebody uh, posted a picture of a, of a child that found a family, the needy child that was, was orphaned and found a family and adopted and the smile was big. We're adopted into the royal family, family of deity. I, I can hardly take it in. And in that adoption, we cry, Abba, our daddy, father, the, dear, the most dear, endearing term of father. I love it. So the next two are going to be shorter and even more condensed. So we talked about freedom from condemnation and freedom from defeat. And they're so real. Condemnation is so real and defeat is, is so real. But we can live above that only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit. And in some ways, <clears throat> I think we're shifting, you know, this whole process of uh, justification. By the way, Romans is a very theological book. It's probably the most systematic theology you're, ever, you're going to find in the scripture. It first deals with sin, three chapters. Then it goes into getting right with God, chapters four, chapter five. Then it's the, the, the sanctification process. Chapters 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, the first part of it. I think we're shifting gears a little bit, and we're entering a peak at glorification. That's the whole process of being saved. Being justified, being sanctified, and being glorified. And this is recognizing a, a very disturbing world that we live in. And that's why FDR's comments aren't real. They're not. We live in a world of groaning. Here it is outlined so well. Actually, if you really carefully look, you're going to find three groans. You're going to find uh, creation groaning. You're going to find we groaning. You're going to find Holy Spirit groaning. I mean, think about that creation groaning. That's we're talking about, the groanings. Think about it. Creation's groaning. You know, we, we know that. Or do we? Or do we latch on to the philosophies that are pro-earth. There's deserts. I mean, before, before the fall, before the disturbance to creation, before the fall, there were no deserts. There were no thorns. There were no vicious animals. There were no floods. There were no tornadoes. There were no earthquakes. And I don't even know if there was insects. Was there? Somebody can help me out. Was there a mosquito? Maybe it was a very kind mosquito at best. I'm, I'm saying that the, the, the creation is groaning. And we find ourselves living in an environment that there is even creation groaning. Read it. Where is it? 22. We know. Sometimes I wonder, do we? Or do I? Do I know that the whole creation groans? That's in verse 22. And travails in pain. That's like a, a woman in labor. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the analogy that's given in the word. That there, there's, there's travail going on 
and something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And it's going to be when Jesus comes back. And he's going to set all things right. Everything's going to be made right. And those of us that are in Christ are going to be, oh, it's going to be just the glorified. It's finally at, you look forward to something so much, and then finally, here it is. So the creation's growing. And then in verse 23, it says, but we also, even the, we that have the Spirit. See verse 23? We ourselves groan. We groan. Waiting for the redemption of the body. In other words, we, I, don't care how, I don't care how healthy you are. Even if you have perfect health until you're 105, you're going to walk with people that, that didn't experience that. You're going to groan. Some of us stood near the bedside of somebody so close. And everything in us groans. Even if we have the Holy Spirit, you're groaning. And then this is the amazing one to me. Okay, I get it. Creation groans. I get it. We groan. The Holy Spirit groans. Verse 26. The Spirit helps our infirmities. The Spirit itself maketh intercessions, intercessions with groanings that cannot be uttered. I can't unpack that. I don't know what it all means. Here's what I believe. I believe that there's times where a person is so deep in, in groaning, not without hope and not without courage, but groanings, pain, suffering are so great. The Holy Spirit actually makes intercessions and puts into words things that we can't even, we, we, don't, we don't know how to say it. So we're in the third point, and the third point is freedom from discouragement. Sometimes in this sin-cursed, groaning world, the tendency for the man that walks in the flesh, for the woman that walks in the flesh, is to give up or lose courage. Somehow, somehow, by God's grace, the child of God Amidst the groanings, whatever they are, here's a voice that says, continue on. There's a better day coming. And in that response to the voice, there's a courage to put your next foot in front of the other one and just to keep on walking. And the point is, freedom from discouragement. Freedom from pain? No. Freedom from suffering? No. Freedom from groaning? No. Freedom from discouragement. That's the spirit-filled life. That's freedom. Freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from defeat. Lastly, and maybe the most important at the very core of who we are, how many of us are really honest in expressing our fears. What we're afraid of. And we could go down a lot of, several roads on the freedom from fear. This passage is 
I would probably say verses 31 through the end of the chapter. And I don't think I'm going to take time to read it all. But just put your eyes on verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall peril, shall the sword? And I'll be, I'll be honest. I'll be very honest with you. Sometimes I do look at the future, and I like to be, be very optimistic about the future. But sometimes I what, I, what I have observed in the last five years, five, I'm only old enough to say about, I'm 50 years old, so I can only honestly say about 40, okay? But if I could rewind the clock just a couple days into 1970s, and compare it, sometimes I, if I'm not careful, I can fear. Am I free from fear of tribulation? Not in my flesh. Distress? How many like distress? Distress. You ever say, he's distressed, or, or stressed. I think distressed is worse than stressed. Persecution. Has your mind ever gone there? Have you read some of the books lately, the martyrs' books? Starting with Jesus, he led the way for, for martyrdom. Verse 36 For thy sake were killed all the day long, sheep counted for the slaughter. Famines, we can't relate. Hardly. Perils, that means just dangerous times. Not enough clothes to keep warm? Well, maybe you were cold one day for a little period of time. That verse is just tucked in a big passage of scripture that basically outlines if God is for you, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that could be against you. God's for us in this passage is emphasized that Jesus died for us. It's emphasized in verse 33 that, that uh, we're justified. In other words, Jesus' blood has covered everything we've done wrong if we're truly turned and believing in him. And then it goes on to intercession. Look at verse 34. Jesus at the right hand of God interceding. That, I can already take that in, that he would actually talk to God the Father and intercede for me what I'm going through. Because he walked this earth. It behooved him that he would be, like, be made like his brethren so he could be a merciful high priest. The intercession, this is all under the, um, the context of freedom from fear. And then it lists all those things that could bring, could bring fear. And then it says, verse 37, in all these things we're made more than conquerors. Now, it would be great if it would say we're conquerors. We got it. But maybe you could help me out. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? I mean, conquering is about all. Uh, that's, that's all. That's everything, right? But in Christ, through the Spirit, we can be more than a conqueror. 
So there it is, brothers. There it is, sisters. I hope Romans 8 has been an inspiration to each one of you wherever you're at in the journey. And if you could see God's uh, table from his perspective, sometimes we, live life, we like to live life based on what people's perspectives are of us. But honestly, from God's perspective, as he opens our book and he sees our journey, every one of us, different places along the road, what does it look like? And I pray that this message, will, a passage of scripture, will be a, a, a blessing to you as you walk in the spirit. You could preach an, another message, almost a parallel or a sequel, and it could be entitled, Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Which, by the way, is, mo is Jesus probably his most favorite theme. I think that theme right there is more quoted by Jesus than basically any other theme. It's the same thing. Deny yourself. We're back to that flesh. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Am I after the flesh? or after the Spirit? That's the question. Freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from defeat. You may lose a day, but you're not going to lose the war. Okay? Freedom from discouragement and freedom from fear. All possible because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given to us when we repented, believed, and went public with it and are still there today. That's the journey. That's the blessing. That's the freedom. Let's all stand for a closing prayer. Dear Father, and our hearts cry, Abba, Father, we're your children. We don't deserve it for a moment. But because of your call, your call, which we cherish, and our response to your call and your gift, we can come right into your throne room and say, Father, thank you. And Father, we just want to say thank you for the gift. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to have a voice in us that gives such freedom, a freedom the world will never know. They can desire it. They can even outline it. But a freedom. Thank you for the freedom. And Father, if there's any of us right here today that are struggling, that are feeling condemned or discouraged or fearful. Oh God, I pray that your welcoming, loving arms would be seen and felt in some way and that we would truly find the freedom that comes from walking in the Spirit. So help us, Lord. Dismiss us with a blessing to be a blessing to other people. In Jesus' name, amen.